The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you were circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared that all God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. And so let me pray for Josiah as he proclaims the gospel for us this morning. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. I thank you for my brother. I thank you for the preparation that he's put in. And we pray as a church body that we will encourage him today, knowing that he will be sent knowing that he is one who's, who's been among us, but is to go and to proclaim this good news that it is by the grace of God that we are saved. And so we pray that today he will preach Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you very much. I just want to soak in the time with you guys, just look at you guys, because this is my last Sunday and it's been a while. It's been almost four years now. And I have some friends here where it's been a lot longer, um, so it's a blessing to be here. I'm sad, but I'm excited for the next step. Um, so yeah, um, we all desperately have this need to belong, and uh, some of us are willing to do anything to get it. I know who you are. I'm one of those people. I was reflecting um, recently on when I first became a believer. I was so excited. I had just been welcomed into God's family. I had moved churches from a small kind of awkward youth group of 10 people to like 100 high schoolers. They're all cool. They're all flashy. And I was so excited. I was like, I'm going to meet all these new believers. We're going to be together. I'm going to belong and feel welcome. And I think that excitement lasted for about 10 minutes because I started to realize that being welcomed by God and being saved wasn't enough, that I needed to actually be cool or I needed to wear the right clothing or something else. And so I remember thinking like, I need to do something to belong to this group. And the big opportunity came. So I was at this summer camp 
it's Lake Shasta. We were on houseboats, and we have this competition, and and my team is kind of behind, but they have this they have this thing called the stupid human trick, and I oh this was this was my moment to shine to earn everybody's trust and belonging, and so if I if I won this competition, it would propel my team into the front. So I remember standing in front of like 150 high schoolers and adults and stuff, and I do the stupid human trick. And for me, it was I put both my legs behind my head, and then I and then I started doing push-ups with both of my legs behind my head, and everybody's clapping. Wow, look at you! I was thinking like I got it, I'm accepted. And of course, I mean that that might not be the same for all of us. I was kind of reflect back at the moment and think, gosh, I, I just wanted to be accepted so bad. I was willing to do literally anything. I would demonstrate for you guys, but don't want to rip my pants or anything. So, um, and so we kind of do this. We, 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 I, well, I started working on people skills and, and changing my outfits. And, and even though I was a Christian, I was trying to belong to this group to feel cool and to feel accepted. And we all kind of have this tendency to try to earn our place and belong by following the rules of the group that we're in. And it's embedded in our culture, this idea that we need to earn to be welcomed in. There's this uh, phrase called meritocracy. The Merriam-Webster Dictionary talks about it as a system, organization, or society in which people are chosen and moved into positions of success, power, and influence on the basis of their demonstrated abilities and merit. So our society, from when we're growing up, is telling us You earn a place in society by merit, by how much you do and how much you can do. And so we've all been told that that's what we need to do since we were kids. Getting good grades in school, getting good grades in college, getting a nice, well-paying job, working harder and more hours than your coworkers. And if you do all this, you'll be accepted by the the VPs in in your company or you'll be accepted by the people in your church. And this works-based spirit naturally bleeds into our walk with God. And so we start making rules of what it really means to be a Christian. And we ruthlessly push them on ourselves and on those around us. And some of those things is like like being squeaky clean and happy at church. Or being financially pretty stable, but not too wealthy, because yeah, I, mean, I don't want to be flashy. Making sure to say all the right things through your heart, though, though your heart is in a different place or being sociable and doing all the right hobbies in San Diego and having the right theological stances. And so we kind of get this mentality, like if you really want to be a Christian, you need to be like me. But the problem is we end up on one side, one or, or either side of the coin. We either end up judging and excluding God's people around us and slowly destroying ourselves because we can't live up to our own expectations, or you're the one who's excluded, who's left out who doesn't feel like you belong. And so it leaves us burdened and exhausted and constantly performing to try to belong. And so we're going to look at a crucial point in the early church where they faced this exact problem of exclusion and law-ishness and how they respond. And so I want to to paint the picture for you guys in this passage, Acts 15, because we're in Antioch and excitement is in the air. Antioch had been a church for about five to six years. So think of Grace City. It's actually around the same length of time as Antioch had been planted. And they had already sent their first missionaries out, Paul and Barnabas, five years in. And so today is the day in this passage where Paul and Barnabas come back 
and they're getting off the boat. And I'm sure the Antioch church, I mean, their brothers, friends sitting there on the shore, waiting for them, welcoming them in open arms. And then Paul and Barnabas say in the, in the verses before chapter 15, that they, they immediately put a gathering together so that they could tell everybody not about all the suffering they went through or about all that they did, but look what God did. And just before this, Paul was stoned to the point where the people who stoned him thought he was dead. Like, but he doesn't even mention that at all. He's, Look what God did through me. Look what God is doing. God opened a door among the Gentiles. And, and this was a huge deal. So everybody in this gathering is, is, is sitting there waiting to hear what Paul and Barnabas said. And, and they're talking about how God opened the door and they just must be shocked. For 2,000 years, since God made the promise to Abraham, it was only the people of Abraham, uh, people of Jacob and the Israelites who got God's promise and a few Gentiles who were converted into that fold. And it was closed off for 2,000 years from the world. And now it's going out into all the world. I remember... Spring 2015, when Chick-fil-A arrived in Seattle. I could not believe it. We were waiting for the day. It literally felt like 2,000 years. Chick-fil-A was locked up in Georgia for a while where it started and then to the South and then California, I heard. But finally it was in Washington. So we all went, where well, we tried to go after church for the closest, cl- close on Sundays. But we went the next day, Monday, and we could not wait. And so the, the gospel is just spreading out, launching out. But not everyone's happy. And so we see in verse one, believers in Jerusalem catch wind of the news and are appalled. So we read, some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. So, you know, Paul and Barnabas, great. You know, I love the, the mission work that you guys are doing and reaching the world. It's great. But, but actually, you have to go back into all of these places, Antioch, Iconium, Lystrix, and, and reconvert them and circumcise them and make them follow the law. Because they have to go through us to really be saved. They need to belong to our community to be saved. And so what should be the season of joy and celebration the missionaries have returned becomes this heated debate in verse 2. And so Paul and Barnabas and the the Jews who came down from Jerusalem can't solve it. So they end up having to go to Jerusalem, which is the head of where all these decisions are solved. It's like taking something from the municipal court of San Diego and taking it to the Supreme Court. I mean, this is where the decisions are made. It's in front of Jerusalem, in front of the apostles and elders. And a lot here is at stake. So when they arrive in Jerusalem, Paul and Barnabas again declare all the great things that God is doing, but they're met with opposition and it's heightened this time. Now they say, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. So they, they have to follow all of the laws that we do. They mentioned circumcision a couple of times in this passage. And for us today, it's not really that big of a deal. It's kind of awkward. It's a hospital. You don't really talk about it. It's when you're young, some people do it, some people don't. But back then it was such a big deal. Again, for 2,000 years uh, since Abraham, since God made a promise with Abraham, for the Jews, the promise to Abraham was, you belong to my people if you're circumcised. And so for the Jews, it's been 2,000 years of that. And finally, the gospel's spreading out. And they're like, well, wait a sec. No, 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 we've been doing this. So, so we need everybody to be circumcised. And anyone who is not circumcised does not belong. 
It's kind of hard to catch this, but a similar analogy in our culture, it's not that similar, but kind of, is, is a wedding ring. When the groom puts a ring on his bride, it's a sign that they are united, that they belong to each other. And everybody knows that. When you see a ring, it's like, oh, they belong to somebody else. So in the same way, when somebody was circumcised, it said, I belong to God. And so when they see these Gentiles uncircumcised, they're like, they don't belong to God. Can't you see? It's pretty obvious. Oh, well, they probably couldn't see, which is good. But in this, <laughs> and so they talk about circumcision, and, and it was more than that. Circumcision was a promise, really, to keep the whole law. And for the Jews, when they heard the word salvation, you know, what, what do we think? We think, well, I don't know, confess that Jesus is Christ, be baptized. But, but when the Jews heard salvation, they would think of Egypt and being rescued from Egypt. And what happened in that journey from Egypt to the promised land is God gave them the law. So when they think of salvation, they think, well, you need to follow the law because that is the point of salvation. And so this is a really big debate. And the question at stake in this debate is, do the Gentiles need to be circumcised and follow the law to be saved? Or do the nations need to become like the Jews to be saved? So we have all the important church leaders gathered together, apostles, elders, brothers. They're probably arguing. The din in the room is rising and the stakes are big. If they decide that Gentiles need to be circumcised and follow the law, if they decide that, no, every Gentile needs to be circumcised, then all the Gentiles all over the world, including us today, I'm assuming almost every single one of us is a Gentile and not a Jew, would need to strictly follow Jewish laws. Like we would, we would need to follow Jewish laws, to, uh, sacrifices, circumcision, the whole lot to be saved if they decide that here. If they decide that Gentiles don't need to follow the law, then there could be chaos, liberality, practical problems like Gentile and Jewish Christians wouldn't be able to associate very well because cleanliness, cleanliness, cleanliness laws, uh, certain foods that they couldn't eat. And, and so they might have to wash differently, have separate churches. And so as the din in the room is rising, Peter, the rock of the church, who has the authority, stands up. And everybody is waiting to hear what he has to say. And so in verses 7 through 11, he says, Brothers, you know that in the early days, God made a choice among you that by my mouth, the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. So he's talking about a particular instance here. He's talking about when Peter, uh, when he preached the gospel to Cornelius in his household, the first Gentile household who became saved, received the Holy Spirit, and they didn't need to follow the law. So he's referring to that. And, and the Holy Spirit was given to them, he's saying. And then the word Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. That word is ethne, ethne in Greek. And so that's the same word that's used for the Great Commission, go and make disciples of all nations. That word nations or peoples or Gentiles, it's actually the same word, ethne, and it stands for every people group, every type of person. And so he says, continuing on in verse eight, God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, this is a mic drop moment. Peter says, he made no distinction between the Jews and the Gentiles. 
for so long, the Jews got their holiness and set apartness and feeling like they were better than the nations because of their promise with God and the law. And now he's saying in the snap of a finger, there's no distinction now between Jews and Gentiles. Everybody can come to God. And the Jews are probably shocked. Well, what are we following the law for? Like, why did we have this in the beginning? And then what he says is having, he's cleansed the Gentiles' hearts by faith. The Jews would think cleanse the body by water, you mean? Or cleanse the outlet with the law or with the works of the law? No, he's talking about the inside, the heart. And not by works of the law, but by faith. And so he says in verse 10, a zinger. I mean, this question is a rhetorical question. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? So if you catch his progression of ideas here, God wants the Gentiles to be saved. God gave them the Holy Spirit. God made no distinction between Jews and Gentiles. God cleansed their hearts by faith. So why are you going against what God's doing? God has a heart for all of the nations and you are going against that. You are defying him directly. He calls it out right on the spot. And so he ends in verse 11 saying, but we believe that we will be saved through the grace of our Lord Jesus, just as they will. Several times in this little message, he compares us and them, us and them. We will be saved through grace just as they will. We don't need to follow the law and they don't need to follow the law. And, and saved by grace, not through the law, not through circumcision. And this is for all people. It says similarly by Paul in Ephesians 2, he says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. And what is the crowd's response? In verse 12, we see it. All the assembly falls silent. Whew. He said a powerful, powerful word here. This is crucial that they're realizing the, the impact of what he's saying. This has huge implications. So how does this speak to us today? Well, we may not be discussing circumcision or following the Mosaic law, but we have all sorts of traditions and laws that we force other people to follow to really be saved. Saying, you need to be like us to be accepted by God. And it's this deep problem in our society. You need to be like us to follow God. Here in San Diego, it manifests itself in all sorts of ways. Well, if you really, you know, kind of want to be in our group and, well, you need to be fit at least a little bit. You need to be well off. You need to be educated, you know, know your stuff. You need to be relaxed though, not too intense at San Diego. You, you need to be involved in hobbies, surfing, climbing, the outdoors, and eventually maybe have a house. And then you can be accepted and belong in this community. And I'll confess, I struggle all the time with judgment and with exclusion and favoring certain people over other people. I started realizing this. I have outright ignored those who I deem as awkward or socially not there. Somebody has a hard time expressing what they want. I, I kind of move on to the next person or, or uh, after they leave, you know, maybe mention a little comment to somebody like, oh, I, I just maybe they couldn't, you know, I'm like, what am I doing? What am I doing? 
And so I, in James, he talks about partiality, treating some people as better than others. Oh, they got this education. Well, I'm going to talk with them first, and I'm not going to talk with this person who didn't quite get that because, well, it's fine. They can, you know, relax on their own. But I'm going to talk to all these people. And so I've found this as I'm working with crew this summer in this, in this group of of college students that are from all these different campuses and some are more awkward than others and some are still kind of learning things. And, and so I kind of tend to, to talk to the people that I want to come back and not some other people. And in my head, I'm thinking they need to be like me to be saved. And so I'm doing exactly what Peter is saying I should not do. And I'm talking about like within this past week, this is this, this happens a lot. And we, we, we all do this to some extent. We all have our own ways of judging people or excluding, or we feel left out. But it goes even deeper in our nation. And I talked about meritocracy, but often that, that meritocracy does not work because there's so much judgment and pride and the rich keeping each other rich. And so we look at the foundation of our country and we see exclusion. You need to be rich and white to be a citizen. The Declaration of Independence quoted that all men are created equal, yet Jefferson, like so many of his days when he was, like so many of his uh, day, did not consider black people equal to white people. And indigenous Americans weren't even considered when he wrote that. And this racial history that we have of excluding other people, you need to be like us, goes even into the church. In Jamar Tisby's Color of Compromise, he talks about this church, the first Episcopal church in New York, the first black Episcopal uh, parish in New York called St. Philip's. And they faced repeated rejection in applying for admission into their church's association, which was predominantly white. And when the matter of the church's status came before the committee, this is like in, in the 1800s, they stated that neither St. Philip's nor any other colored congregation will be admitted into union with this convention. And the words that they say are harsh. They are socially degraded and are not regarded as proper associates for the class of person who attend our convention. It is embedded in the history of our church, excluding other people, excluding other people because of outward characteristics and appearances. They're socially degraded and are not regarded as proper associates for the class of person who attend our convention. And they're probably thinking, we're, we're trying to be nice or kind. We're just trying to say, and, and they're completely being racist towards this group and not allowing them into the fold of God because of an outer thing. And this leaks into our Christianity and, and our church today. It's not as overt as that, but there's all sorts of ways that we do this in our heart. And there's deep, this deep evil pride that we have in following our laws, in following, in belonging to the group that we feel like we belong to. And the Lord, through this passage, is saying to us today, why are you putting God to the test? Why are you putting God to the test? This is no small thing. This is outright rebellion against God. And I part of that. This week, I am part of that. And so we are defying God's grace for all people and excluding others because our prideful ways of doing things and rule following. But in this passage, there's also amazing news. It's this. God isn't like us. 
He is so much beyond our ways. He lovingly created every single person sitting here or people watching and every culture that you have or ethnicity that you have, he created that and he loves it. And uniquely so that you can follow God in your unique way. And where we put demands on others, God graciously welcomes in. And that's what we see through this passage. God is welcoming in. God is opening the door to the Gentiles. God is saving their hearts through faith. The only thing humanity is doing in this passage is going against God. And so God is on this mission to lovingly welcome all types of people by his grace, not by what we do. And God doesn't look to our outer appearance, our credentials, our resume, our particular national identity to determine salvation, but he has a heart for every people and every nation. He flings wide the door where we shut it. And his love is constantly outpouring Constantly. It's like when you make a root beer float and you put ice cream in there, you throw you put root beer on the top and it's just whoosh going out the top. That the God's love is overflowing. It's like when you have a friend, you probably all have a friend, I have a friend like this. They just invite every single person they have a party, and every single person they invite to their party. I want everybody to come. That is God's heart for us today. And we see that in Revelation 7. In eternity, God wants every people and every nation to be with him. And so it says in Revelation 7, 9, I looked and behold in heaven a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne with palm branches in their hands. And what do all these people, all different people, what do they have in common? That a loving God came down fulfilled all the requirements of the law, lived the perfect life they couldn't live, died the death they deserved to die, so that through his death, the barrier to God was broken and that all nations can come to the Father through Jesus. It doesn't matter where you're from or who you are, you can all come to God through Jesus. And so today, if you do not believe in Jesus and you're hearing this, Hear this, to follow him, you don't need to have a good job. You don't need to come from a good family. You don't need to come to church enough or live up to your own crushing expectations. He longs to welcome you in by his grace as a gift. If you would but have faith in him, if you have faith in him, he will welcome you in. And if you are a believer hearing this, we can know because God graciously welcomes in all peoples, we can stop excluding others by living by our own rules. And instead of that, we can join his mission, join what he's doing for all people in our city and in the world. So three points, if you're taking notes for application. One, stand in awe at God's welcoming grace. Stand in awe. This is the only thing that's going to change your heart. Don't look at yourself to, fi- to, to, to solve it. Look at God. Dane Ortland and Gentle and Lowly talks about God's heart and compassion. He says, God's heart of compassion confounds our intuitive ideas about how he loves to respond to his people. He isn't like you. Even the most intense of human love 
is but the faintest echo of heaven's cascading abundance. His heartful thoughts for you outstrip what you can conceive. God is amazing. And we need to see him every single day. Get alone with God in the morning and just gaze at him. See how welcoming he is. And that's the only thing that'll change your heart. Fill yourself with his amazing character. Communion today. Remember all of us together when we have communion. All of us from all sorts of different places in life have been invited to eat and drink with him as one. No distinction. And in worship today, let loose See him. Praise him. He's here with us. Point number two, join God's mission in our city. In Matthew 25, Jesus says, I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. As you did not do it to the least of these, you did not do it to me. What we do to the least of our brethren in this city matters a lot to God. And in San Diego, we will be called to account before God for how we treated the homeless people who are living right outside of our doors or the refugee who's living just across the street or our neighbor. We'll be called to account for those things. God cares about the people that are, and I will too. I, I constantly am driving by homeless people and I'm, ah, I don't know what to do this time. I just kind of keep going. And I'm thinking, oh, you know, so, something will magically change when I'm overseas and I'll, I'll love people better who are on the outskirts. No, I need to be doing this right now. And we all do. Martin Luther says we are saved by faith alone, not works, but not by faith that remains alone. So if we have this true faith, if we see God, and his heart for the lost, we will have a heart for the lost and the least. And so see what God is doing right here in your church and in your neighborhood. Already, Brooks talked about a lot of examples. There's human trafficking, uh, safe houses that Generate Hope puts on, where you can help trafficking victims have a safe place and just do some yard work for them. There's homelessness with San Diego Rescue Mission. There's opportunities with Hope for San Diego put on by Redeemer Church. They have all sorts of updates and opportunities that you can serve. Point number three, join God's mission to all nations. Join God's mission to all nations. In San Diego, we just love to live in this bubble of comfort. I remember during COVID, I was just surfing, playing spike ball every day. I mean, everything was closed down. I was just enjoying myself. This is great. Like I love, just kind of so comfortable. I mean, people with kids probably was way more stressful and I was living the best life. I mean, I was just living this bubble of comfort. And that's what we love to do in San Diego. It's this utopia where you can literally just find whatever you want and enjoy it. And we completely forget about all the nations around us. And so whose responsibility is it? is missions. Whose responsibility is it to reach the world? Jesus says in Matthew 28, go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So he talks about baptizing, teaching, teaching people to obey. This happens in a church setting. And so Andy Johnson in his book, Missions, How the Local Church Goes Global, says the position and honor and responsibility of missions 
has been given by Christ to his church. So notice, we don't have to muster up the energy to do all of this. It's actually God is the one on mission. That's what Peter is saying. God has a heart to open the Gentiles. God is opening a door of faith. So we don't need to muster that up. But Christ is doing it, but then he's using us. He uses the church to reach the world. But the problem is the church in America is not going out. There are still over 3,000 language groups in the world, 3,000 language groups that do not have access to the gospel in their language. It's been 2,000 years since Jesus said these words, go and make disciples. And there are 3,000 nations that, that don't have the gospel in their language? Uh, Brooks Buser, the president of, of Radius, the missionary school I'm going to, was a missionary to the Yembe Yembe people in Papua New Guinea. And after he finished planting his church, there was this other group with a different language. They were begging for the gospel. Please, can we receive the gospel? When is, when is a missionary going to come and teach us? We wa-? And, and, and Brooks had to say, I'm sorry, people, people just don't go. People just don't go. And they said, what about the, what about the older people with the, the gray hair in our, in our tribe? And he said, I'm sorry. I, I don't have, like, if people don't go, they won't be reached. And so if this task falls on the church, let's be a church that sends people out. Support Pastor Silas's work in Myanmar. Support Pastor No's kingdom work in Anaheim. And very soon I will be sent out as well. Three years ago, by God's grace, he led me to go. I wanted to be a, a consultant, a management consultant in San Diego and this padded job and making a lot of money and showing everybody I got it together, but he called me a complete different direction. And so this is my final Sunday and I'll be heading to a missionary school this upcoming year. And the hope is to eventually plant a church in an unreached people group in one of those 3,000. And I would love for you guys to be a part of that, to see God's heart for the nations. And it's not my mission. It's not your mission. It's God's mission. God's mission. It's an honor that he uses us. So because God graciously welcomes all people, we can stop excluding others and join his mission in our city and in the world. And it's shown clearest in his son. On a dark night 2,000 years ago, actually it was during the day, Jesus was rejected. (laughs) Jesus was rejected and unwelcomed by his own people. He was banished as an outsider and nailed to a cross, forsaken by his followers and most of all forsaken by God, forsaken, beaten, mocked, so that every people, every tribe, every nation could be lovingly welcomed in. And that includes everybody here today. Let's pray. Father in heaven, may we gaze at your wondrous heart that you just, you just want to welcome people in, that you want to go to the highways and the hedges, to the roads and the streets where beggars and priests and all sorts of different people, Lord, are welcomed in. We pray that we would be the same, that we would be on mission with you, that we would have the same heart that you have to reach the nations, to reach our neighbor, to not exclude, but to welcomely loving it, welcomely 
or lovingly welcome in. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.